Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Brother John. How are you today, sir? Uh, feeling pretty good. Yes, I am. Well, this, it's for those who don't know, this is the bro show. Two brothers, actually related, and I'm Jerry. Yeah, yeah, we gotta, that's something I've gotta get over. Uh, John. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you are gonna have to get over that because we got a show to do. And we got That's a pretty right. good one today. We're, uh, by the way, what T-shirt are you wearing, buddy? I am wearing the www.broshow.com two mug dot dot show uh, two mugs uh, the best oh. of sports, film, and fake news. And what I've got to do is I got to start putting taking the shirt off before, so I can use it as a cue card on my yeah. other chair rather than stumble bumble through the description of the shirt. I'm going to well, work on it, that, okay? Take, yeah, Just take a picture, print it out, put it in front of you as a cue card. That'll work. Yeah, yeah, I think probably if I just put it on the device and I can have it as a photo would be enough. Yeah, that would be enough. I, be I don't, perfect. Uh, I'm trying to save toner. Okay. And trees. <laughs> yeah, right? trees too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this the T-shirt this week uh, for our show is the same one I'm wearing, which is support our musicians. And I'm wearing the Tahiti Blue one that you see in your show notes. And all the mm. money from this, uh, all the profits from this, and Bonfire does a good job of not taking too much out, uh, goes to Music Cares, a nonprofit associated with the Grammys. And they take care of musicians with funds, medical care. Yeah. And, and the musicians that have problems. Yes, problem and musicians. And there's a lot of problems. We all have there problems, are. including musicians. That takes us to our next segment, John. Oh, no, this is the ox segment. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I kind of worry every week. I said, how am we going to come up with an ox story? And all of a sudden we come up with an ox story. This is like the tail wagging the dog. I mean, this story is so, 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 so good. It and is. It's music, and that's kind of hitting yeah. your sweet spot. It's about the bass player for the Who, John Entwistle, and yes. his nickname was Ox because he seemed to have an enormous amount of endurance and strength, primarily the endurance, and he could demonstrate this endurance through a variety of ways. Whether he was on stage, he loved. He, he's the one guy in the in the Who that would probably like to be on stage 365 days out of the year. That demonstrates yep. his endurance. He wanted to be out there, not because he was a hot dog, show dog. No. He no. just loved – it's sort of like his idea of doing a show was just get – well, let's kick out the jams. Let's go up there and just kind of have some fun. Jam. And yeah. yeah, he was yeah. a jam guy. Yeah. So and to show you the endurance, this guy demonstrated endurance to the day he died. He yes, died he in did. Las Vegas with he a died recent uh, female companion. Uh, that found him dead in bed with her. He was in bed yep. with her, uh, yep. and just showed that he was living to the practically the his last breath. He was. He he was an incredible bass player. Uh, he was considered in uh, I think it was 1907. Uh, excuse me, 2007, not 2017, but you know 20 zero seven. Yeah, it's at seven. He uh, <laughs> he was considered number one by Billboard. Okay, number one bass player. This was years after his death in 2002, and uh, he was a great bass player. 
And even the bass player uh, organization named him number seven. And that's very, very high. That's like a lot of bass players. So he was he was really great. Uh, his technique was unusual uh, in that you, it could not be copied. He did a combination of his left hand, right hand when he played. He played with a pick. He played with his fingers. He played all different kinds of styles. Uh, he was probably best known for whacking the strings with his left hand, and he had very large hands and fingers, which was the only reason he didn't play guitar. He started out playing uh, trumpet and French horn, actually, with Pete Townsend in a, in a, a kind of a Dixieland jazz band. And then uh, when rock and roll came along, they switched. Pete took up guitar, and so did John, but his fingers were so big, he decided to play bass, and he built his own bass, John. See, that's the key to this this man. Yeah. He's creative. I look at him, and I think they're of this parallel path. A person who's building his own instrument yeah. and learns to play it himself. He that's self-taught correct. the instrument. Yes. And what that does is allows you not to be burdened by the way that the play, the instrument was played before. It allows you yep. to take a look at your broad musical background. By by the way, both his mother and father played musical instruments. So he had a... Yes, and it's, yes. And th- that helps a lot. The other little yeah. word I like to use when I describe the music he played when he was or in his early age with that trumpet would be jazz with a little, with a little seasoning of skiffle. Yes, he did have skiffle in his background Sk- also. Skiffle. So skiffle, if we've talked about it before, is sort of like... And what they did, and it's interesting, Townsend says, you know, you'll notice that we've got some pretty strange sounds coming out of our band on occasion. Yeah, and that's the whole idea is trying, Skiffle is all about taking sound and making it into music from unexpected sources. Washboards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Spoons. Yeah. All kinds of different stuff. Amazing guy. And the personal aspect of this story is I actually met this guy in the flesh. Oh, yeah, man, this is so sweet. Yeah. Well, my friend uh, Doug Swanson and uh, Greg Bell, another fellow whose name just totally, he was the drummer in our band. I played keyboard, Doug played bass. Uh, Greg uh, played a Rickenbacker hollow body with 12 strings. And uh, we played a lot of bird songs, but we played a lot of who songs, too. So when they played, we all went. And, uh, you know... It, it, they played first, then the Blues Magoos, and then Herman's Hermits. This was August 25th, Keel Opera House, 1967, the summer of. Sweet. And it was a beautiful concert. It was great to watch. Uh, I'd say the Blues Magoos, not quite the band the other two were. Herman's Hermits did an excellent job. But uh, clearly the Who, I mean, they opened the show, and they ended their set with My Generation Destroyed Everything and Smoke Coming Out of Their Amps and the whole works. Just like, they did Monterey, <laughs> just like they did at Monterey Pop Festival that same year, where they wow, they yeah, uh, played yeah. with Jimi Hendrix and backstage Hendrix and, and Townsend flipped the coin to see who would go out first. Mm, you know that sweet. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, did get to meet them. We I've told the story before. I think on the show we fought. We followed them. We figured out where they were staying. They're staying in Holiday Inn, not very far away from Keel. And uh, we went down there and. Uh, the drummer's mom was from U City, and they had a little dough, and so uh, they bribed the, the uh, they asked the who uh, her, the mom said, could you talk to uh, our our boys in the band, their garage band, and they're up and coming and all that, and uh, they were already downstairs talking to like the number one band in St Louis in this genre because their mom bribed the who to come down, but then the who went over and talked to us for free, so it was sweet. Pretty cool. 
Yeah, and it was it was just Daltrey and then Twistle. Uh, Keith Moon was probably recovering oh. from Flint, Michigan, where he drove a Cadillac into a pool. But uh, that was just like days before. And the Townsend was kind of reclusive, and I didn't expect to see him. But Daltrey and Entwistle were both fantastic with us. They answered any questions we had. We had a dog with us, and the whole time Daltrey petted the dog. He was very friendly, very open. They talked about, you know, what's the secret of your success? And they said, write your own material. Don't Mm -hmm. just do covers. Do a couple maybe, but write your own material, and you will write your own ticket. That's what they told us. And at the time... You know, these guys were in their early 20s. Keith Moon had just turned 21 uh, in Flint, Michigan. That's why the pool ended up with a new car. But be that as it may, it was a wonderful experience, and Entwistle was very forthcoming, and I talked to him a lot about his bass, how he got the sound out of it he got, and I won't go into a lot of detail about that, just to say that Entwistle continued to play until he dropped. And he, you could find him on in the Letterman Band, uh and he played with them several times. He played. He liked uh, Conan O'Brien. He played with their band one whole evening. Uh, every mm. every intro and outro, he played with them. And boy, you could hear him too. He was uh, an extraordinary bass player, and he will be missed. And he was the Ox. Yes, he was. And I would just like to say my research does uh, coincide with yours. I think he was playing music with a lady to the day he, to the moment he died. Yeah, and he had a great band, the John Entwistle <laughs> Band, and he was also an artist. Uh, his his art is worth a fair amount of money. He has collectors who collect him, and he did a lot of it over the years, and a lot of it on the road kind of uh, uh, art. And it was mostly line drawings at first, I would think, uh, but then he his last work was uh, much more th- three-dimensional looking and color and uh, all kinds of great stuff like that, more like paintings than drawings. So... Yeah, great, multi-talented guy, uh, and uh, should be noted, he was functionally deaf by the time he passed away. He had to read lips to know what was being mm. said. Yeah, so, tinnitus, be careful out there, you guys and gals. Yeah, our word this week is lexicon, L-E-X-I-C-O-N. This, this is a good example of a word that's come to the forefront uh just topically with recent news, as we switch from one uh, presidency to another with the uh, the Trump presidency to the Biden, we find there's a need to change our uh, our words. So rather than saying, for example, Trump would call uh, illegal alien, that would be for Biden an undocumented immigrant, sort of an example. So what does the word mean? Yep. Well, it means the vocabulary of a particular language, field, social class, person, etc. So, for the example sentence I give, the most, the two most unpopular words in Trump's lexicon were climate change. Okay. Yep, that's true. Those were foreboding. Um, yes. My source was an, uh, an article in the New York Times on February 24th called "The Words That Are In and Out in the Biden Administration." So uh, that's the word. Uh, one other quick comment is that it reminds us that quite often um, another thing we can think about with lexicon is language discrimination. Often we uh, we characterize an individual by the way, not necessarily their lack of education, but by the way they'll say something. Right. So what we've got to do is we've got to be very careful uh, at the way we, we know language words are, are very important. Very and powerful. Very powerful. That's the reason we have it as a segment. That's it. 
because words are important and we love words. Yeah. I, you know, I view a lexicon kind of as a person's personal dictionary. Yeah. Is that a, is is that a, a description? Kind of in a way? Okay. I, I would right. say, yeah, because it's, it's, uh, when you take a look at the unit of, of individuals, it could be a country, it could be a person, it, you, you've just taken it down to an individual. It's just gotcha. going with the flow, and I would take it all the way, and you could easily do that. I mean, I'm sure there, we all have words that we say that, that mark our, our, our uh, personality, our temperament, Generation, um, yeah, generation, um, and often my generation. words we use. You, my generation, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, People so try to put us down. Yep, talking dun, about. Dun, 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 um, I think we're talking about. Uh, well, that we already talked about that. Man, I was going to give an, I was going to do a two takes on John Entwistle. You have to be careful there. Producer. We could have done a two takes <laughs> on John Entwistle. We, we could have. Continue doing a two takes on him. We, we, we all do stuff. Let's do two takes on Sounder instead. This is Black History Month, and this is an historic black movie. Yes, uh, this movie is uh, was was filmed and came out in 1972, and it's a it's a it's a great story. It's a story that um, uh, about a family, a family in 1933, located in uh, rural Louisiana. And yes. they were a sharecropper family, which means that they live and died by not only their crops that they raised, but also by the fact that most of the money that they made was going to go to the to the owner of the of the land, and that's what made them a yep. sharecropper. Unfortunately, share doesn't basically describe it. I think no. minuscule cropper might be a better uh, description. Yeah, so I, th- I think you're right. So what happens here are we learn about a family which has got the trials and tribulations of of, of being under in that environment and yeah. we, it, and it's a simple story with a lot of emotion as we take a look at this family that meets its challenges and the challenge lies in the fact that uh, they are desperately in need of food and the father feels a responsibility to do that he misses uh you know. Shooting one of those raccoon, and we know them good eating. Them are uh, good eating. <laughs> we know that for sure. And so, as a result, uh, out of sheer desperation, he steals a ham and gets food on the table for his family. It's a it's a it's a bleak period in in their in in the, the season where they're not able to have enough food or at least meat. And, and Sounder uh, Sounder is the coon dog. He's the one who hunts Sounder the, is and the, 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 the animal that will hunt down the the, the food for him and. Um, so he's he's like that common thread. He's in the background throughout the whole movie. So what happens yeah. when he's arrested, uh, the father is. And the family consists of mother, father, uh, two brothers, and a uh, and a daughter. And so what happens is that the oldest son, who is probably, what do you think, 11, 12 years old? Yeah. Maybe a little older. A little that older. son has to take on. So his father ends up going to jail, going to a work prison, which they don't even know where it's located. And so they won't that, be, can't find out either. Can't find out. So the mother and the, and the son have to, this older son, take on the responsibilities with the other two young, younger kids. They had to bring in the crop, crop of sorghum. They had to bring in the crop. And, of course, every the owner of the land says, you're going to have trouble doing that. But And so I Good think luck. we've got Good some luck. great, we've, yeah, we've got some great personalities here. We've got a story that is that resonates with respect to perseverance, there's a resolve. There's a a thing where they're in a bubble, 
but they're able to make the best of it and live a, what they would consider to be a good life. But we take a look at it and see it. Boy, that's pretty bad. And but I, what I like about it is we've got some incredible actors. Yes, uh, we've got Paul Winfield as the father. We've got Cicely Tyson, who passed away earlier this year at the age of, I think, 96. She plays the mother. And to show you how good they are, they both were nominated for Academy Awards. The first time in the history of the the Oscars in which a black was nominated in the same year, both for the female lead and the male lead. That's right. Um, And so. That's right. yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot lot that can be said. I would say that one of the things that we take a look at is the, the period of time in which this movie came out, it was going to be severely challenged by the black market as it existed. Because yeah. this is the same year that Superfly comes out, the year before that Shaft came out. And I took a look at the gross, what movies gross the best each week of this uh, this year, and of course, your favorite movie, Godfather, sl- was a slam dunk for most of yeah, those weeks. Yeah. But we find Slaughter there, which is a Jim Brown movie. We find Superfly, and we're not going to find Sounder in that group. We're going to, but it's a steady, s- simple story that's very compassionate. And I would, um, I would say that uh, what it did, it 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 broke the mold of what we perceived at the time what would be a, a good black movie. We find a movie. Yes. That resonates for both children and adults with a, and very, very much. And we yeah. and, and, and what they did is they had an incredible marketing strategy. They realized that they were going to have trouble breaking through, so they need to have a good word of mouth to start out with. So they ended up screening this movie to religious black religious organizations, uh, school groups, yes. etc., so that they could get some momentum in terms of it, but one thing they didn't have to worry about, and that would be the critics. The critics love this movie. They yeah, it. it's so authentic. Uh, the you know the soundtrack for this is remarkable in how spare it is. Uh, they have yeah. uh, they start out with some Lightning Hopkins original recordings, which are even a little scratchy, and mm-hmm. uh, then Taj Mahal does all the heavy lifting and the rest of most of the movie. And he is now, of course, a very famous blues man. And uh, he played a resonator guitar, which has a metal front and a cone that vibrates when you play, which is very popular among Delta musicians. And it is, it's just breathtaking. If you're a musician, that's one reason to listen to this movie and watch this movie. The other is it's so authentic. Uh, it, they don't do any Hollywood treatment on this at all. There are a lot of parts that are played by people from the parish. Not by two parts, two very big parts. The part of the person, one of the policemen, or the judge who, who ends up yep. uh, sentencing him, is a real judge, and the minister who comes over to give real some minister. comfort to the, you know, the 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 minister of of the group uh, is is real. He's the he's the real deal, and he's probably he's got a he's got a pretty good role. He's got a few yeah. number of lines. Yes, he does. He lines. does an extraordinary job. The scenes in the church are wonderful. Uh, some interesting trivia that I think really tells you something about the movie. Number one, the two boys in the family are actual brothers. Well, that's good. Yeah. And the, the older brother, Kevin's his first name, he ends up directing the last film Paul Winfield ever appeared in. Well, that's great. So that is just beautiful stuff. Also, here's the one that will blow your mind. Cicely Tyson is 15 years older than older, Paul Winfield yeah, in this 47 movie. 47 years old. 
Yeah. I think one of the things I think is good, uh, I'll say just three things. Number one, the, uh, the, the everything's filmed on location. So that helps with respect to keeping the Hollywood out of it. Number two, the cinematography of this movie is very crisp and it's very bright. So yes. as bleak as things are, you the, what you sense is you sense the positive way in which these people conducted themselves by taking a look at the interiors of the, the you could see that they had a they were proud of of what they had. It wasn't yeah. much, but what they had, and you you sense yeah. that they were they were thankful for it too. Yes. So those are a couple of the of the pieces that really stood out for me. They had, yeah, they had a lot of land. They had a lot of land, really. Yeah. So Cicely Tyson is 47 years old, and what really it it plays well into it because we needed a woman who shown has shown the wear and tear of the life that she's had to lead. Yeah. And this is something you could see. So she has sort of a drawn kind of a you can see she's sweating. Continence. There's a, yeah. yeah continence. You can see there's always a little beads of perspiration on her. Oh yeah. And what what I liked about her is she was reserved, but she had resolve. Yeah. So, so what happened was that she wouldn't say much, but when she was confronted with situations in which you could see that it was going to get tense because she's interacting with with the whites, uh, you could see that she was going to have to, to get the, the the last word, and it would be very soft spoken, and it would be it would direct. be very direct, strong, uh, direct meaning. So uh, we, I'm not going to spoil the ending for anyone, but it's worth reading it now. First of all, don't get this mixed up with Old Yeller. This is not a movie about the dog. This is no, a movie is. about this family, and the ending of it is so beautiful, and it's a story of any generational family, especially immigrants, who want their kids to do better than them, and it is yeah, very, yeah. very heartwarming, and you can see this kid's got a future. So that's, I'll just say that much. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's the key to the exercise, it, and it was, yeah, it's just it's just well done. And See the film. A lot of people. Dollar ninety nine, dollar ninety nine on Amazon. Dollar ninety nine on Amazon. Anyone can hey, watch it's worth, it. It's more than worth it. I can just say oh, that yeah. if you read, uh, you know, I, my guy kind of does my deets and reads this and that, whatever. You got to be ready for a movie that's got a very, very simple story that evolves. Some people even think it's to be slow, but I think what what I find it to be is I love to watch the characters evolve, and I also. Love to take a look at what's around the setting. Yeah, the it's settings just, are unbelievable. The world Louisiana is so authentic, and it just it just really coordinates well with the story yeah. that's being told. And the cars? Oh my God, those cars and trucks! Oh, no tractors though. They farmed that, yeah. and they farmed sorghum. People often ask, "What was that they were farming?" It was sorghum. All right, so let's have two groaners, John. What do you say? Sounds good. Well, our groaners are supply, uh, supplied to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., commonly referred to as the coach. The coach. And so he has uh, come through in the clutch and given us two very good groaners. Uh, the first one: Why is wine making such a profitable business? Why is wine making wine. such a profitable business? You got me on that one, John. I don't know. Because it's a seller's market. Oh, wine seller, but it's a bit of a stretch. I, I respect it's it. It's, it. It's a bit. It's okay, a bit. let's go. All let's right. move on. Let's move on to my this, this one. What medicine reduces 
aches and pains, but makes you swear. What medicine reduces aches and pains, but makes you swear? Oh, I don't know, John. Ibuprofen. Oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I like that one. That, that, that's the winner of the two. All right, all right. We did it. 